Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Brie, and today I'm joined by Heba Helmy. I'm so excited for her to be joining me today. She has her debut Harlequin Mills and Boone historical debut, which I have read already. It's fantastic, you guys. The Earl's Egyptian heiress. Heba, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good, Brie. How are you? I'm good. So we're recording this. It's the 5th of July. Um, I kind of have an idea of how your your 2023 has went so far because you have this fantastic debut. But in your own words, tell us how 2023 has been for you thus far. Oh, my God. It's been such a whirlwind, I guess. Like everything happened. I was just talking to a friend of mine. She's like, did you celebrate? Did you get excited? I'm like, no, not really. It's like, what's next? Right. Um, It's just been so busy. I haven't really had time to kind of let it all sink in. And I don't know, maybe it's it's who I am and how I've always been. But um, but it's exciting to have people finally reading this. Um, this story that's um, lived in my head for a while and these characters. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad. I'm happy. And um, yeah, I hope everybody will enjoy it. And that's going to make me even more excited for the rest of 2023. I think you should definitely let it sink in and enjoy because this book is amazing. So before we get into the book, tell us a little bit about you. Like I read some really cool stuff about you online um, that I want to get into, but tell us about you. So um, I <laughs> so I have this academic personality, I guess. I don't know if that's the cool stuff you're reading. I'm a pretty, but, I'm a big nerd. So yes, that was, yeah. that was really cool to me. Um, so yeah, I have this academic um, um, background. I have a master's in English Lit uh, from the University of Toronto, and I have a PhD um, in... I guess you it's education, but critical literacy education. Um, I, I've, the work has always been really in, interdisciplinary and I've had this creative writing side. And I think for a long time that I was like trying to combine the two and, and um, find ways that I could, you know, make a difference in this space and that space and, and put it all together. And I think, I hope that um this novel does that a little bit and um yeah that's me so right now i work part-time as a professor moonlight as a romance writer and um uh, yeah that's who i am so where did the i i always want to know like academic wise what inspired the path that you took so english lit start there like what inspired that and then you like I have a secret dream of one day doing a PhD, but I have no idea. Like I, I did my bachelor's in history and my master's in teaching, and I'm like, I don't know what what I would, what in history hasn't been studied already. Um, yeah. so I would love to hear about the PhD in language and literacies and what that um entails because you focus on like culturally sustaining narratives, and I'm like, oh, Hiba, you have to tell me all about that. So you know, just. For the nerd me, please okay. tell me what inspired these paths and then specifically your PhD. Like, what does that look like? Explain that to us. Okay. So, um, so I was actually teaching, right? And I, I had like this whole other life and I was teaching um, high school English and, um, and it was an urban Toronto school, you know, mostly, mostly um, marginalized students and I'd always, and I, you know, I had, I had married, I had had my kids and I had this dream since I was a little girl kind of thing. Oh, one day I want to do um, a master's in English literature. Um, so by the time, like my youngest was in kindergarten, I'm like, okay, now is the time. So I applied for a master's in English literature and I got in and, um, and because I had come to it from teaching, it was really fun, <laughs> right? Um, it was fun, but at the same time, it felt very much navel gazing, right? So it's like, okay, act two, scene two, King Lear, you know, we're going to study this and it's going to be fun and all these different ways of reading this, but it's so um, ivory tower. How does it help the students that I had 
been teaching in this marginalized school. Um, so I knew that I didn't necessarily want to keep with the whole um, literature PhD, but at the same time, I don't think I was ready to go back to the workforce. So I kind of threw out a PhD application and I said, look, I have this background as a you know high school teacher of English to marginalized students. And I have this background now as having a master's in um in English literature, and I had actually focused on Victorian literature and Victorian literature um, of empire. So the you know it was the age of empire, where the world you know was um, starting to understand the things that had happened, and um, as you know, England spread its wings across you know the empire yeah. that the sun never set upon, and. Um, and so this kind of idea of the empire writes back, right, um, where you get this post-colonial literature that was coming. So I was kind of like I was mesh enmeshed in that, but I didn't want to go too deep where it felt like navel gazing. I wanted to kind of like understand how it is that this impacts, you know, these marginalized students that I had, right? Like, what is it about this literature that does that? And how has it affected us? And, you know, I tell a couple of like really key stories where, you know, when I went back to work, I would be talking to my students and I'm like, um, okay, we're studying Shakespeare, but, you know, Shakespeare, this, this, and this. And then they're like, why are we studying it? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Why are we saying it? I'm like, I don't know. Um, and so kind of like, honestly, like the students led me and, and I tell the story often of um, and I wrote it actually in my PhD application of a student of mine who, you know, was this diasporic Muslim girl. And there's this character in um, Frankenstein. So Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, actually, where it's like a Muslim character, but it's really kind of badly written, um, you know, all the stereotypes that you know, where this girl kind of like moves from, it's, she's a minor character in Frankenstein, um, but it's But your really, student noticed her. But my student noticed her. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is true, right? So kind of like these questions that we're asking, this critical literacy, where are these, why are these stories canon? Why do we keep studying these stories? And to students who can actually um, be harmed by them. Yes. Right. Um, So kind of these kind of questions came to mind. I wrote my PhD application. I got a um, fully funded. I won a really nice award for it where I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, um, kind of study this more, right. Post-colonial literature. um, What can we do about it? How we can we change things for these students of mine? Um, so I really found a way, I guess, to um, combine the idea of uh, what narratives need to be studied and how we can kind of think of them, um, you know, in new ways, if you will. And I ended up taking this um, character in Frankenstein and writing a YA novel where it shifted, <laughs> right? So I and I. It's where I was like, okay, rather than just critiquing, what can we do to write things, new stories, right? Write ourselves into these narratives. Um, So it was really an exploration. It was super fun. I had funding. Um, I had a great supervisor. Um, I actually, like people who were with me were like, oh, struggling to get through their PhD. And I actually had a good time, right? (laughs) You were so so excited about it. You were so fired up. I was, and 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 it was fun to do, and and um, to think about these things in a way that you know, um, I guess, was funded. <laughs> I was like, you know, everybody doesn't want to. I, I, you know, I was basically read. I was basically paid to read and write, and and that's really the dream. But it was academic academia, so uh, it wasn't as well. I guess even publishing doesn't pay that well. But um, it was a lot of fun, and and I feel like I the experience of writing for young adults, especially, um, was super, super enlightening and super, um, super underscored the reason why I did what I did to tell these new stories to, to, to students who were like me and who were mine. So, um, so yeah, that's how the academic sort of played into the creative. Well, I will be um, a first year 
sixth grade English teacher this upcoming yeah. school year. And I, I'm doing a lot. Of, I'm reading this book right now called uh, Teach Like a Pirate. And I mean, the author touches on it a lot, but it's, you know, something I've heard a lot about is just um, students now, they want to know how does this relate to my life? So I just love hearing that story and like your students and them kind of inspiring that path that you took, the journey, because it's like, I, I ask all the time, these classics that students have had to read for years. I'm like, why do they care about that? You know, how do you relate it to their life? And then when you have that student that notices, it may be like a minute character, but they notice it. And that would be like, they're them being represented in the story and it's a negative thing it's like we see all these books that get banned all the yeah. time but yet yeah. these classics are still there at the forefront and it's like some of it's really harmful so I just yeah I, I I've been thinking a lot about like you're supposed to relate help them connect it to their real life and it's like yeah some of this stuff that we're asking them to read though is not nice to them Exactly. And I think that like that was part of my um, my dissertation too, right? Part of the work that we did, like stories like um, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? So highly celebrated, but a lot of, of academics and, and, and people have said it's really kind of a problematic tale. And when we do teach it, we need to be cognizant of the fact that this is a white savior story and you know and kind of trouble and and there's nothing and and there's I know America it's a bit different than Canada um but that kind of like pushback around like critical race theory for instance or um um I don't know like I don't know how how political you want to get here but um this idea of of stories that if anything, right, if they don't necessarily need to dictate to students what they should or should not be thinking. But all stories, I think, should make students think yeah. and question and, 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 and not take things, um, um, you know, just kind of blindly, right? Or, or just kind of like, nobody wants robots. We want our students, our, our children to have minds of their own, to, to think, to criticize, to, you know, um, debate. And, and we can't do that unless we kind of foster that at a young age. And so no matter, I think, the politics of it, that when we come down to it, you don't want your student to be, um, you know, someone who doesn't think, yeah. right? Who doesn't question, who doesn't read. You want them to read, to question, to read again, to question again, um, and and to and to see themselves. Yes, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know um, the the whole metaphor of mirrors, windows, sliding glass doors. These are the stories that you know build a better world, and it starts. In kindergarten, it starts at grade six. It starts in high school, right? And and it continues. And there's nothing um, fundamentally backward or wrong about allowing students to read yeah. everything and anything, and to keep letting them read. So I don't think that that was very eloquent, but I think it was um, great. <laughs> you were just so cool. See, I I told you. <laughs> you felt it. <laughs> I did see, and you touched on YA. Um, I was reading your I Got the Call article, which I love those. Um, you you were writing some YA. And then, yes. you know, it, it, it sounds like a really crazy journey. Like you were writing some YA. And then you you said that, uh, is it, I was calling her Rania. Is it Rania and Owen or is it yes. Rania and Owen? Rania. Rania and Owen. Their romance yeah. just like came to you. So take me through this journey of like writing YA and then like what happened? Like what were you doing where one day this story just popped into your head? So I was writing YA and, um, I, you know, because of my dissertation, I was in this YA game for a while <laughs> and, you know, the querying journey. Such um, a high school teacher, such a high school like English that. teacher. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I got into Pitch Wars. I don't know if you know Pitch Wars, but um, I got into Pitch Wars, which was this really big contest for writers. And I, I applied for like three years in a row with different manuscripts. And then the fourth year I got in. Um, 
or something like that. I can't even remember. It was like I was trying for a long time to break into YA. And um, and I had, you know, Amanda Panich, who is um, fantastic. She writes romance novels. Her books are out by her books, um, not historical necessarily, but she took a chance and she mentored me for Pitch Wars. So I had her as a mentor and I had um, um, I got into like the Muslim Storytelling Fellowship, which is the Highlights Foundation, which does, you know, a lot of great work with, um, you know, the push for diverse books and in children's publishing. Um, and so I had a bunch of really great mentors. Um, Sabah Tahir was a mentor um, through that. Um, Intisar Kahani was a mentor, right, for that. So um, a bunch of great mentors. And my work, I think, what I got out of all of these relationships and and kind of thinking about you know, what happened, what's been happening in my writing, my, you know, even some agents were kind and, um, you know, giving feedback on my work. And I think that my work in the YA space, especially, um, was, I guess, too, I want to say too much, right? Like so much was going on. And, and people were like, oh, you do romance really well. (laughs) Because right. there's always like the, the romance subplot, but then maybe the other stuff was muddled with it. And so I said at the beginning of the, that year, when I started writing um, um, The Earl's Egyptian Heiress, where I started writing it, um, the, all that feedback came to me and it was like, okay, let me just try something really specific, right? Like, let me not do YA, maybe let me change course a little bit um, and, and let me focus on something really genre specific, you know, test myself. And so I went to, I had read all my life, you know, Harlequin historical, especially. And, um, and I knew the website, like you mentioned that I got a call, like I lived on that website. (laughs) Right. Um, And, and I saw that, okay, I don't need an agent for, to submit to Harlequin. And I, I had noticed Carly, um, who's my editor at Harlequin, like, and, and the other um, editors who do historical, and I kind of read their kind of requirements. I joined the Facebook groups. Um, and then I said, okay, I'm going to test myself and write a historical. And I had done research. Obviously, I, I already mentioned that um, you know, I had this background in Victorian lit. So I was familiar with the era um, from this post-colonial standpoint. And, you know, Egypt is where, like, the, the places in the story, Alexandria, I was born in Alexandria. My mother's family my, is from the Nile Delta, my parents' family. Um, and so I knew, I knew these areas. I had done research around the cotton industry before for another um, project. I, um, I had this character in mind that was kind of a prototype of other characters that I'd already done. Rania obviously has a mind of her own. She very does. Had, she does. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she kind of came to be really quickly. Um, and she was very much, but she was also kind of like a daughter of, you know, <laughs> the women that I knew and also the characters that I've kind of written um, before. Right. So um, Rania came to me as kind of their daughter, right? The daughter of all of my characters from before and some women that I have known. So she came to me like this gift. Owen was new, I think. Okay. <laughs> Owen was just like, okay, who's Owen? Um, and maybe Owen was the hardest part to write. But Rania totally was like, yeah, I knew Rania. You know, we were besties kind of thing. Um, and then, so I had this story and I had been going through some things in my life and it just, like absolutely came together as a culmination of a lot of work. So that first draft, I I went through pretty quickly, actually. And, um, and then I saw that, and I had no deadline, remember. <laughs> but then I saw there was this contest called Smooch Pit, okay. and Carly's name was there. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, this is just like fate. And so I, I kind of, I, I submitted. And and then 
Carly picked me. Like I heard nothing. I kind of even forgot about it. And then I got this email and said, oh, Carly picked you. And then I was like super excited. The first call with Carly, I was like, hey, I um, actually wrote this with you in mind. Right. And and I think the contest was like she was going to look at your your opening letter in the first 50 pages. And then Carly was like, OK, let me read the whole thing. And so, um, <laughs> so it was like a mess. And then but she read it and then she was like, OK, I want to buy it. So that's the story. And um, and then when I got her notes and the editing and I had so much to learn still and because romance is really romance. Right. So I I've learned so much from her and, and we went through a couple of drafts of it really quickly. And I'm kind of a slow writer, but um but it was such another learning experience, honestly. Like I, you think you've been writing for a long time, but it's it's a whole different ballgame in like narrowing in and making the romance sort of central. And um, it was it was a lot of fun. So yeah. I hope people. Like it. So uh, I have so much that I feel like is going to be kind of all over the place, but I promise we I'll make it make sense. So before I get into like the books, the book stuff. Like you mentioned you always read romance and like you mentioned historical. So is historical like your first love of romance? And and like, what is it about historical romance that you've always enjoyed? I feel like as a little girl, I I, I like, um, we like even like, I'm totally betraying how old I am now. But um, a friend of mine, uh, um, we lived, like I grew up in a place in Canada that's pretty rural and um, and we didn't, like the local library was kind of far even. And so we had like a bookmobile. I don't know if you guys have those there. I don't even think we have them here anymore. Um, but it, it I was would like die a- if I saw a bookmobile. I want to see right. one so bad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was so it would come like I don't I can't remember if it was every week or every two weeks and I would like it was like I was in the sixth grade reading this stuff. Um and my parents, they're immigrants, they don't know what I'm reading. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I would go to the to the um um they had like the books out and I would pick out these books. And what I really loved about historical, even back then, was the fact that um, you know, it taught you something. Right. It taught you. It not only did you get a good story, um, but we learned something about something in the past. And I think for somebody growing up in a place that's um, rural, kind of removed, maybe a little bit boring. uh, These were adventures that took you not only to different places um, geographically, but also different time periods that you could learn from and understand. So I think that even I would say that my interest in history came from reading historical romances. Um, and then obviously when I got older, um, I was reading a lot of YA, right. Um, just because, um, you know, that's what my students were reading the YA. And I think that, um, the romance was really central. The thing that I liked about that was the romance and and um, the romances in these stories. And I thought, you know, this is really exciting. And what does it say? What does it say about love? And what does it say about identity? And, and it just um, kind of generated questions because um, obviously there's the commercial aspect. Now I know that. But at the time when I was reading it and the popularity of some of these stories, I think that um, it was really interesting for me, right, to Mm kind of like to think about what is, I didn't know it was Marketplace too, but what is the phenomenon? Why is, you know, Twilight really big? Why is um, the, not necessarily the Fifty Shades, the Fifty Shades were a bit later, but Twilight, for instance. That was a game changer. It got yeah, so it many people to read. Yeah. Yes. And and especially like these girls, these teenage girls that I was teaching at the time, it really kind of like prompted questions that um, I don't think I have the answers to necessarily still, but um, but it definitely spoke to a need. And um, yeah, that's that's how I kind of got into historical romance. And now I read it, obviously because I still need like when I my reading habits I guess the older I get they actually get it's hard to I've read a lot you know like I was reading you know a book 
a day kind of thing since the fifth grade. Like I've been reading a lot all my life and it's hard to kind of grab my attention now. So I need something that's going to be um, an element of history. I need something extra from my books, if you will. I need history, maybe something speculative, something like super fun. So I can't, (laughs) I don't want to diss anybody, but it's hard for me to get into like a contemporary in a small town because yeah, I'm like, okay. But if you put a ghost, then I'm like, okay. (laughs) This is different. Yeah. Especially when you've read so much of it, you know, you read so much. I think romance readers tend to just naturally we read quicker because I think you read so much of it um I've heard um, so many friends have said the same thing like I still love it I've you know they're not going to read anything else but it's hard to like surprise them you know but I think there's also so much joy and like the comfortability of like knowing what you're gonna get um so yeah I I that makes that makes total sense and you know I think I think I'm on the op like I love history and I always question myself, why don't I read more historical romance? I think I, when I saw this book, when I saw Rania's book, I was like, okay, this is different. I want something different. Like I can't do the, uh, I can't do too many of the like ball gowns and big dresses. Cause I'm like, I know where I would have been at this time period. And it's hard for me to like, not separate that. It, does that make sense? But, but when I see books like Runya's and especially her as a character who's very aware and acknowledges this is what is going on in the world. It's like, yes, girl, this is this is what I need. <laughs> yeah. Even like the whole Bridgerton effect, right? Mm. Like the whole like diversity that Bridgerton is bringing the series and whatnot. And there's been, you know, critique and and I see both ways too. Like you don't like... Yes, the world is going to be hard, but also the fact that now what's nice kind of, I think, about the Bridgerton books is that like it was obviously they're all still set in England. Right. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) but there were women of color in other parts of the world doing well. Right. Um, And and so this kind of narrative of of, you know, the brown women or the black women who only need to be um you know, the maids or saved or something like that. I think that um, that there needs to be pushback against that as well. So on both sides, like I see it <laughs> and I know. And, and the point is that we need more stories, right? Um, the more stories we get, the more we can um, have a clear picture of the world and also, um, you know, speak to injustices that were happening. Well, we have to start, I have to start with your author's note, which I mean, you already know, I loved this. I put it on Twitter. I put it on Tumblr. Guys, if you're not, you know, keeping up with us online, it's there. Um, But I have to read it. So you said, researching the time period and reflecting on my own family stories of Alexandria and the Nile Delta helped me find evidence of people who had lived their lives unapologetically. I'm tearing up uh, despite their circumstances and often in defiance of the commodification that prioritized industry over humanity. And I, as a woman living in the United States, needed that so much. Uh, I was just like, you know, it's hard. And when I read that, it was just a reminder that like, things are always going to be hard. It's hard for me. I'm sure it was harder for my grandmothers and their grandmothers. But everybody that like, I think you just, as you said, like, people have always found ways to just live their lives unapologetically, despite fill in the blank. Um, So can you talk about writing the author note? Like, did you know you wanted to write that write that and go there like how did how did that happen yeah so I think that for the author's note I remember being quite emotional writing it it's been a while and and I'm deep in book two now but um writing that one and really thinking about um like like my grandmother and my grandparents and how they did defy like people think for instance and and my students right like people and this kind of idea of um the diaspora, right? And and I was where we have the diaspora, meaning in the sense that 
you know, um, we come here as immigrants. I, I like my students, the ones I was dealing with and my own experience and other people will have different experiences. But a lot of my students were like, um, you know, refugees. Sometimes they come from war. Sometimes they're second, third generation refugees. Um, and one of the things that kept coming up was that like, yeah, now I'm getting emotional, but I remember one girl saying to me um, at one point that, you know, she was in a, I think it was like grade eight, one of the interviews I'd done early in my PhD. And she was like, um, you know, you read a book around, um, you know, women in Afghanistan or something like this. And it's like, you like it, it's written well, but you know, at the same time that it is absolutely, um, you know, like an ember fire for the stereo, like it just enlightens the stereotypes against, you know, um, Muslim women being these oppressed women um, who never had a life, right? Mm -hmm. Who never had their own opinions. And so um, this kind of duality of, okay, I know <laughs> this is where I'm from, but at the same time, these women are troubled and these women, you know, were persecuted and all of this. So trying to be a feminist and trying to have this kind of woke, exis woke existence where I am thriving um, despite my past is kind of wrong and sad. It's not, it's, 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 it's like you have to kind of um, understand that there was strength and there was good stories. And I remembered, you know, my grandmother who was divorced really early on and, you know, um, my great grandmother who um, started her own business. Oh, wow. and, and so all of these stories, they, they exist and there's, and they counter the story the stereotypes. And so um, drawing on those, I think um, when I kind of like sat with it, it was almost easy. <laughs> you could find these stories um, in your own life. And if you travel back and kind of think about, well, what did these women do differently and why did they succeed and how did they affect me? And so um, prioritizing those stories of these women who were strong um, and the men who supported them too, right? Yeah. <laughs> the men kind of like back down and said, yeah, I, you know, uh, uh, my wife or my daughter um, is going to, to make something of herself on her own and I'm going to support that. And I think that um, that, that existed and happened and, um, and there's stories that prove it. Um, so I wanted to highlight that. And Rania in the story, she's super proud, right? Super, super she proud. Is. Yeah. She and is. um and and so and she does, she goes and she travels and she um and she gets on that boat and and she looks for her brother and you know her she saves her father. And um and it's a testament, I think, to to that spirit that existed, even if people will want to tell us stories otherwise. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> so you talk, you just touched on a little bit, but I just realized like we haven't actually shared what the book is about. So give us a quick elevator pitch. Like how would you describe the book to someone who hasn't read it yet? So I always say it's Bridgerton season two. Um, okay. the, the, the idea of, you know, Bridgerton TV season two, where you have, you know, the Kate Sharma with the Indian um, um, sort of um, background. So she's the, I think it's the East Indian Trading Company, um, where there's that history of colonialism and, and whatnot in the trade between um, the U.S., sorry, not uh, England and um in India, right? Um, so Bridgerton season two, when this girl kind of coming from India, where we have Rania coming from Egypt, and then and then North and South, which is specifically the cotton industry. Um, and um, I don't know if you watched North and South or read the books, mm -hmm. but this idea of um, North and South with Rania's brother is missing. <laughs> um, North and South has a brother that's missing. So there's parallels, this idea of pride. Um, yeah. So Bridgerton season two meets North and South with an Egyptian heroine. The meet cute between Rania and Owen is one yes. of my favorite meet cutes. Like I love when two people are 
inevitably supposed to meet, but they meet accidentally and they don't yeah. realize they've met kind of thing. I love that. Um, so when you, you said Runya, Runya, the more the hearing you say that like she came to you and then you kind of had to figure out Owen, which is it's hilarious because she's so strong and smart um, that that makes total sense. I can totally see her just like showing up like, hey, Hibba, I'm ready for you to write my book. And then yeah. you'd be like, well, you have to love somebody. So let me, yeah. let me figure that out. But like, how did the, how did that meet cute come to you? Uh, Cause I just thought that whole like first chapter was just so brilliant. And it didn't even, for some reason, it didn't even register to me until I got to his chapter that I was like, yeah. oh, this is you. Okay. Like it was so great. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, one of my, she doesn't read historical romance. She's one of my academic friends. She's reading it now. She texted me last night. She's like, I'm cheering for Iskander. Yes, <laughs> yes. Same guy, but she doesn't realize right. it yet. I'm, I, I was right. I was team him. And then I was like, oh, this is Owen. Yeah. So um, I think that like, just if you've ever been to Alexandria, I should post pictures. I don't know. But there's, it's, Alexandria is a city that's like anywhere you are in the city, you're five minutes away from the shore kind of thing. Like it's like this long, it's like a long city, right? Where everything is just near the water, which is the Mediterranean comes in and they call it the Corniche, which is like these rocks. Sometimes it's like a balcony, not a balcony, but like a fence of rocks you can sit on. Um, people in Egypt and, and Alexandria, at least when I used to go when I was a, a child, um, would just absolutely go and you know have supper at their house and then everybody would be like when it gets too hot because the sea breeze comes in and they would just go and walk along the shore right yeah um so that's what the city looks like and um and when I was growing up, I was like, everything happens on the shoreline. You could see people falling in love right in front of you. Like, you know, like people passing, people coming. It's it's kind of loud depending on the time of day and the day of the week. Um, and this is very obviously a modern sensibility. So I had to like take it back a little bit. But um, um, I feel like that kind of scene of him coming and him being there and her having this plan and feeling kind of a little bit ashamed of this plan. She knows she needs to get this deed back. She's contemplating it. And then, you know, someone steals something from her because people lose themselves on the Corniche at, um, while they're just staring out into the sea, it's beautiful. And, you know, if you're depressed, you go there, you get happy. If you're like, um, happy, you go there and get inspired. Um, the water is just so soothing and healing and um, and inspiring. So I knew it had to take place there. Mm -hmm. And I knew who she was. And then I'm like, okay, what happens to her? <laughs> um, and then she gets this scene, this dress stolen. And, um, and then obviously this laborer comes in and he's all that. And yeah. <laughs> It's a it's it's a good meet cute. I I liked it. I feel like um that's when we talk about it coming to me like a gift. That meet cute came to me like a gift, and then things spiraled after that. So um so yeah, the book the the conf there's so much sparkling delicious conflict in the book. Like Runya has hers. I mean, she's looking for her brother. She wants to basically save her father. She's so proud. And I love how she's constantly reminding herself of who she is. I'm a Cotton Pasha's daughter. I love, I love that. I love um, the book. I think now that I, I finished it, I'm like, always, I'm always like, okay, what did, what did this, uh, what was the big theme for me or, or the big idea? And um, I thought what, the thing that I think I took away from this book is she's so proud of who she is and where she comes from. And you take her out of her comfort zone and you put her in England and you are yeah. so, you so smartly use words, like words are just thrown at her, like so casually, like, or like around her, like people would be talking as if she's not in the room, like, oh yeah, yeah. our guys go to these savage lands all the time or barbaric. And like, 
she knows when to step in and then she knows when to just kind of chill out. But she she always reminds herself of who I am. And it, I thought like it goes back again to being like a person of color. Like one of my favorite memoirs is called Negro Land by Margot Jefferson. And it's all about how she grew up in the wealth of Chicago. But when they would venture out, you're still a black person, right? Like yeah. you can go in and that that's how it felt. Um, so like, was that something that you were aware of when you were writing or, or just like, how did you, cause the conflict that is su- like, there's, there are scenes that were like tough to read. Like anytime she was with the countess alone, yeah. or like there's a, one of my favorite scenes is her with Charlotte and like a group of other girls. And that's when she yeah. kind of stands her ground against Charlotte. I loved it. Um, but capturing all of that, how was that for you? So it's interesting because this idea of, you, you, you know, you mentioned theme and, and I mentioned earlier that the diaspora, this positionality of being not completely in a place and time, right? So somebody like, I know I shouldn't be reading reviews, but somebody early on said the parts in England were clunky. Mm -hmm. Uh, in one of the reviews and I was like yes they're supposed to be clunky yeah because you're in her POV and it is she's not home she's not not comfortable she's not safe she's doing something that's totally against everything that she's ever known and that is exactly how sometimes even you know I've been in Canada for how many years or you know you've been in America for how many years and our generations before we don't feel at home Mm -hmm. that that kind of positionality of not being and honestly even like even for my students even sometimes in in their home countries they don't feel at home because they've been out of that too. So they're in this always constantly. That's the condition of the diasporic person where they're, they have this, you know, years of generational trauma perhaps mm-hmm. or nostalgia for a place that they've never been um, and, and this kind of like removal. And so this idea of what is home and where does it like even in Alexandria, Alexandria is not her home. And um, she's from the Nile Delta. And in the Nile Delta, they've kind of kicked her out of her home because of, you know, the commodification. And and that kind of speaks to the commodification of the time where, you know, people need to eat. Yeah, they're using their land to just, you know, um, feed empire, right? Send cotton to Britain, but they're starving sometimes themselves. And for paltry um, profits that they're and then and then they kind of treat her that her town treats her father badly, right? So even like this idea of hope, like she needs to keep reminding herself of who she is. And she is very proud. And it's hard for her to accept the fact that, you know, um, that Owen wants to help, that he is gallant, that he, 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 um, he tries to, um, you know, give her and, and supply that. And she doesn't want to take it. She, Right. She's like, I I am. I don't need it. I am. I, I want to be proud. I am proud. It's who I am. You know, the sense of herself and her family and her background that she holds on to in, in a way. And despite circumstances that have really um, been difficult for her. And that absolutely is what I was going for. The sense that nowhere is home. And so sometimes within ourselves, we have to find home, yeah. right? W- within ourselves, we have to, we hold, she holds on to her father. He's a good, he's a good man. He's a good presence. And, and at the end, you know, I don't want to ruin for people, but you know, them being together is really important to her and um, this connection to her brother and um, yeah. And it, it's just this idea of, yeah, it's clunky. It's hard. It's, 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 it's she's violated by Egyptians in the beginning, basically, right? Like this, these comes to her and steals this thing from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this sense of her needing to find a home um, in herself and, and kind of at least realizing that it, it exists within her, if you will. And then Owen, on the other hand, you know, he has, he's half Egyptian too. And he's been, and he's dealt with it in a way that, um, that I I think for Owen, it was important to me to not have him be a hundred percent a, um, like a white man. I didn't want to write another savior story either, right? Um, Because she saves him because he is like, he he draws on her strength, right? He He understands 
Right. And he and he feels like because he's like he's put on masks all his life. Right. And he has no sense of who he is. Really. He's not sure who he is. He's not sure if he's like Owen, um, you know, the Earl or if he's like Iskandar, the half Egyptian boy who was abandoned by his mother. Right. So that kind of sense of him being the effects, I think, of 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 that in a different way, growing up under the countess and trying to, you know, um, be a good man despite it. I mean, it's, he just avoids it kind of thing. Right. Um, so he, he learns from her and he, he matures, I think, because of her, um, of him knowing her, if you will. So, yeah. Yeah. This is, um, I finally, like the more that I, I was like, okay, society is very much, an antagonist in this book like the first scene you know she's something's robbed from her you know while she's on the shoreline and that's at, at her home and like you totally you totally get it like you understand why this is the rules of like her society and then um with owen um the more that we learned about his mom and how she was basically like his dad's great love. But like you're learning more about this as Runya is in England and you're like, oh, this would not have fly like flown at all. And it's yeah. it's just, um, I don't know. I think you just did such a great job of capturing the rules of society. And uh, they sucked. <laughs> they really sucked at the time. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. with Owen, I was like, Oh, he's a true category romance hero because he's got some parental issues. And I love when it's a hero and it's their mom. But mm. I also loved how his mom wasn't a villain and like you didn't make her a villain. I felt like she was um she was a, a victim of circumstance too. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really get her story too much. Um and you know, for this, because I have like another book coming. It's a two book deal. So there's another book coming. I thought of actually even writing her story. Um, but then I, I didn't. <laughs> I wanted to leave it there because I don't think it's a happy one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's not a happy and we need a happily ever after, right? Yeah. So hers was definitely not a happy one. So um, and, and, and so I couldn't tell it. I needed to write something else. But um, her mom, his mom is not the villain. She's, um, you know, circumstances have taken their toll on her. Um, and, and, but you get the sense that she too suffered and that's why she likes Rania. She sees this kind of spirit in Rania of, of, you know, being proud and Rania at least having, you know, her dad to come back to and her dad to be the thing that brings her back. Um, but his mom at the time, and we don't get her story, like I say, but his mom not being able to survive that kind of removal mm -hmm. um, from her home and having and leaving in for all intents and purposes, her son behind. Um, and then we get the countess who's very much the villain, I guess. And, um, and him also his conflict around, you know, reconciling the past and the dictates of the earldom that he has inherited and you know it's funny because there's like I have an editor and then you have a copy editor and um there was it was tough mm -hmm. <laughs> to get through things to the, the copy editor is like yeah this one happened this one happened this one happened uh, and then I was like yeah okay <laughs> so I, there was a lot of um revision on that part like that things would happen um the way they did. And I think that there may be, I was allowed a lot of um, um, freedom, I guess, to kind of make them happen, if you will. But there were, there was exchanges in Egypt, right? In, in England at the time, there was, you know, um, uh, con industry, there was p children who were like, you know, not the right parentage inheriting these titles, like there's evidence of it, um, maybe not as, um, as as abundantly as romance novels would have us believe, um, historical romance novels would have us believe. But um, I think that it it might not seem like it's grounded in a reality, but there are ways to think of it as being grounded in reality as well. Like it wasn't so out of the loop. So um, yeah, 
I have to ask. So one of the, uh, so there's a couple scenes that I want to I want to mention. So one of the one is when uh, they she's like, you know, wanting to ask about her brother, but he also takes her to where the workers are. And she kind of gets to see firsthand the conditions that they're working in. And they have this conversation, which I just thought was one of the best conversations I've ever read. And it just kind of is her going off like, look at the conditions that you guys have these people working in and they're going to make these beautiful dresses that basically your mom and her friends will wear one or two times. But like, we're the barbarians. And I just thought, I was like, oh, God, that's so right. Um, But like. Um, was that was that a scene for Owen or was it like a wake up call for Runya? Like talk like talk about writing those I, scenes. I think that those are social commentaries that I wanted to make. Okay. Right. And, yeah. and and there's there's that one and there's the one at the dinner table where she's having and, and the one in this beauty salon, too, mm-hmm. I think. Where the countess is like, yeah, this is what you need to look like, you know, and your unruly and, curls and yes. your, yeah, your skin tone. I was like, oh, she yes. is awful. Yeah. So this this idea of, um, you know, what beauty standards are, what they look like and how um, society has placed them upon um you know, girls and young ladies and women um, who are reading. And and I want to, those are very, I think those comments that you've picked up on are absolutely um, tied to commentary that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And that felt right <laughs> um, to sneak them in. I'm so glad my you did. Like, <laughs> oh, my editor's like, oh, it's about the romance, about the romance. Yes, absolutely. And this part of it is, is, is snuck in but these two couldn't have they could not have had a romance without her bringing that awareness to him i i think it would not runya would not have chosen owen if he didn't have been if it didn't click for him yeah yeah and him being this like okay my dad handled the business right and him well if you're gonna be a proper businessman then you know you need to know you need to know your product. You need to know your workers. You need to know the conditions that they're under. And, um, and you know, this, this idea of the unions coming through um, absolutely is a 19th century Victorian era thing where the unions, you know, were protesting and, and, and even though people were fighting against it, Rania recognizes that there's value in, um, in the unions and it was the American civil war. All these things are like in the history books, right? The American civil war and they couldn't get their cotton from America, which was built, you know, on slavery as well. Right. And, and so this idea that, okay, if we can't get it from America, cause they're having their little civil war, then let's just take it from Egypt and India or whatever. Mm-hmm because it's cheaper. So this idea that, you know, no, there's people that need to speak up and fight back, even if their governments are allowing it. On the ground, there's worker picking the cotton and there's a worker going through that that cotton uh, and and on on their labor on their labor, this stuff is built and you don't think about where this stuff is coming from, where your clothes are coming from that you're just tossing aside. And, um, and so thinking about that and, and recognizing, you know, the standards that you hold high and dear and mighty need to be challenged. And so she makes him, I think, aware of, she teaches him critically and, um, yeah. And I, I, those are my bits. Like I wanted, I wanted the reader to know those and, and to be, um, you know, inspired by them, <laughs> hopefully. But you have a lot of swoon in the book, like a lot of swoon. So um, one of my quotes from Owen is, "I he said, all I want is to spoil you, Rania. And I'm like, yes, you do, Owen. And he said, <laughs> so you have uh, Rania stood and smiled, scrutinizing him. You are a good man, your lordship. I want to be for you. He didn't know where the words came from. And I loved the scenes. I mean, and this is another, it leads into, you know, conversation, but um, 
them reading together I, I was like that this is such an intimate thing and then she dances for him later on and I'm like dance is such an intimate thing and I'm like there's so much conflict going on and you still manage even him like he was always the one like sneaking to come get her you know like she was like okay I know the rules I don't want to get anybody in trouble it's always him coming to the cottage to get her uh, and it was just so intimate so um how did you know I guess my final book question is like how did you balance both I think um my editor was excellent Shout out <laughs> she's to always editor. like yeah yeah that's the editor she's like okay they need to they've been too far apart Heba they've been too far <laughs> bring them back together how are you gonna bring them back together so um so yeah that like honestly Carly I I, I owe a lot to Carly for that and um even like the scenes, like the belly dancing scenes, um, that belly dancing scene, it's one scene in particular. Um, I think that that, um, like I have a friend who does research on dancing actually. And um, I wanted, and, and she talks about how dancing, especially in like, they call it Ra's Beledi in, in Egypt and in the Middle East traditions that it's very much a um, grounded in the earth. So there's like this whole history of it, right? And it's very visceral. It's a very visceral expression of nationalism and, and country and home. And so um, the dance, so for me, like, as kind of like this Egyptian who's lived all her life outside of Egypt, um, like I can't dance. <laughs> I can't zargat, which is like this, um, this like sound they make. And people ask me, how are you Egyptian? And I don't know how. So giving Rania that gift of being able to dance is making her, you know, um, is making her in a way something that I was missing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so these kind of swoon worthy moments, I feel like, um, um, it's about, it's about loving the other person, but also loving a part of yourself and connection to who you are and where you come from and home and how you can be better. So, um, yeah, I, I think that those those moments that are romantic and and swoony are grounded in that kind of um, conflict as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about it in terms of the conflict <laughs> and so I don't know and and like I say my editor was amazing so um shout yeah. out to Carly shout out to Carly. <laughs> so you said you're working on book two what yes. is there any can you tell us about it or is it too early um book two is <laughs> I'm so behind book two is out um supposed to be out next year in April, I think, April or May, and it's called A Viscount for the Egyptian Princess. Okay. So um, what's kind of really nice about it is that it's entirely in Egypt. So, um, but again, we have like a fish out of water in both of these characters. Um, and and it's, it's set a little bit, um, I think about 10 or 15 years after this one. So still Victorian era, but I really, but it is um, really, you know, opulent and nice and hopefully, I don't know, more ball gowns, but at the same time, more social commentary, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, we'll see. It's still early, but it's coming. Is there, you know, with your love of history is like, is there anything that you're like, I want to do, I want to try this. I think that um, that like I, I have a couple of other things in the work and, and um, you'll see, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for people, but there is like a little thread that you will find in this story and the next one. And then that's part of actually a work that I had worked on before, which I'm trying to one day, hopefully. So that's not a romance completely it's not a category romance but it definitely deals with Egypt and I've really been fascinated with the Rosetta Stone right oh my gosh finding it yes yes the find and I love that um, conversation in the book (laughs) well there's a thread of that in there and there's a little hint of it in the next one and that actually forms part of a larger idea I've been working on for a couple of years um and so we'll see about that and then maybe um um, yeah, I might really hope and am hoping to go back to YA as well. So, um, 
We'll see. I hope you do. I really hope you do. Well, um, last note I have to say is thank you for giving Rania Molly. <laughs> yes. I love right? Molly. Right? I remember the coffee editor telling me, oh, I don't think, um, you know, women in England knew how to read. And I was like, from Ireland. And I was like, I like looked it up. They actually, they had this education plan and this is what they did. And this is, you know, so I had to explain it and had to really fight for Molly to exist there. And um, I'm so glad. Thank you for fighting for Molly. (laughs) (laughs) She's so great. And she has a bow. She's so good. Yeah. Well, can you tell everyone where we can keep up with you online? So Twitter is like about to, <laughs> I don't know if it's about to like combust or. It may be here what, today and maybe gone tomorrow. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I am on. So it's, it's, um, hit ahead me at Twitter. So I, Twitter is actually my favorite in terms of keeping up with things. I'm so bad at social media, but it's the one I guess I'm most used to. So Twitter, hit ahead me. Um, I'm trying to get uh, better at Instagram. I think it's Hibhenmi writes at Instagram and then Hibhenmi.com. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm there. If you search me, you'll find me. Okay. Well, I will have links to all the places where we can keep up with you. I'll have links, listeners, where you can go get your copy of The Earl's Egyptian Heiress. It's fantastic. I cannot wait. You said April of next year. We'll be counting down the days. You'll have to come back. I'll have to read this book. We have to talk about it again. I'm so excited. And thank you for sharing your time with me today. I've been so excited to talk with thank you. you. So thank so you so much, Bree. Thank you for everything. And I'm hoping that everybody likes it. I'm sorry if I rambled on some of the question. I, questions. I hope that... Um, You're perfect. That's what we need. We need chatter here on the podcast. So thank you. Okay.